Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Last couple of weeks here at Sunrise Church, we've been journeying through the Bible and looking at the seven days leading up to the resurrection of Jesus. And where we last left off was that Jesus was sentenced to be crucified. We'll be reading through the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John today, starting in Luke 23, 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it deals with real places. And I had the privilege of being in Israel just a couple of months ago, and I I went to the place that most experts believe is the actual place of the skull, a place called Golgotha. Here's a picture of what it used to look like. And the reason they call it the place of the skull is if you look off to the right, you can see that skull-like feature carved into the rock. What it looks like today is this. I took this video with my phone uh, because it's probably not what you would think. It's a bus station, a Palestinian bus station, which is actually appropriate because back then, Romans would crucify people on public streets because they wanted everybody walking by and getting an up-close reminder of this is what happens if you mess with Rome. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What made crucifixion particularly barbaric was that as a person hung there, it started to become impossible for them to breathe. And you had to use your strength to pull yourself up to to get a gasp of air. So eventually you'd run out of strength and die from asphyxiation, which meant that the words you spoke while hanging on the cross had to be very selective because they expended precious oxygen. One criminal chose to use his final words to mock Jesus. One criminal chose to use his final words to cry out to Jesus. And Jesus chose to use his final words to save the man who cried out to him, even in the 11th hour. Let's jump over to verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When Jesus died, even the earth reacted. The sky went dark. The the curtain in the temple signifying the animal sacrificial system was torn in two, meaning that that system's done because Jesus was the final sacrifice. And the Roman soldier guarding him thought, This is God's son that we just killed. John 19, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. So with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, 
And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And that place that I visited, Golgotha, right there is a garden, just like the Bible says. I often envision the tomb of Jesus being in some graveyard far, far away. But there's a garden right there. And in 1857, they excavated a tomb. I took this video with my phone to show you what it looks like today. And there's a couple of different sites in Israel that claim to be the tomb of Jesus. But we may very well be looking at the exact place where they laid the body of Jesus. The exact place that was left empty on that first resurrection Sunday. Let's read about it. This is Matthew 28, verse 1. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So after Joseph placed the body of Jesus in that tomb, they put a stone in front of it. And then the religious leaders asked the governor, hey, can you guys guard this place because we're afraid that the disciples are going to try to steal Jesus' body and fabricate a story that a resurrection happened. And so they sent a guard, a bunch of soldiers, highly trained to be able to fend off a mob. And they were in front of that tomb and they would have sealed it up with an adhesive like wax. And on that wax was a signet from the governor's ring telling anybody that if this seal is broken, your dead body is going to be the next one in the tomb. And the Roman soldiers guarding this tomb were also threatened with the death penalty if, ever, if anyone ever got by them. And yet, here comes Mary. On that first Sunday morning, the stone is rolled away. The soldiers are quaking on the ground in fear, at least the ones who are still there. And the tomb is empty. Friends, something happened that Sunday morning. Something broke the seal. Something happened to Jesus' body. Why was it that inside this tomb was only some neatly folded grave clothes? What happened was that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And here's how we know. Because there was a whole bunch of eyewitness accounts. Starting first with Mary. Look what it says in John 20, verse 15. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. When Mary turned around and saw the risen Jesus, she screamed and she squeezed, which is what some of you do when you see someone you haven't seen in a while. She grabs a hold of Jesus, and he's standing there like, you got to let go of me. This wasn't a ghost. This was somebody that you could both see and touch. And after Jesus appeared to Mary, he appeared to the other women. 
This is Matthew 28, 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Similar response. Everyone's grabbing at Jesus. They're, they're hanging on to him. They can't believe this is true. You know, one of the criticisms of Christianity is that it's oppressive to women. But don't you find it interesting that the first people Jesus appeared to on Resurrection Sunday were women? Even before his own disciples, the men he personally trained, he visited the women. The disciples were the next stop on his resurrection tour. This is John chapter 20, chapter 19, and it says, chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples had the same reaction. Jesus visited the women on Sunday morning. He visited his disciples on Sunday night. And when they saw Jesus, they weren't just a little happy. They were overjoyed, jumping up and down, pumping their fists, screaming. Friends, they saw the risen Jesus. This wasn't a vision as a result of some advanced stage of grief. They weren't hallucinating on some ayahuasca trip with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what they saw was a physical Jesus in his physical body. And, and, and they were so excited that they ran off and started telling everyone. And from here, Jesus would appear to his own brother. He crashed a party where 500 people were in one place. He even appeared to the biggest enemy at that time, the murderous Saul, who would give his heart to Jesus and write most of the New Testament. In fact, the disciple Peter, this is what he said in 2 Peter 1.16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We saw him. And these eyewitnesses ended up running all over the place, further and further out of Jerusalem. And they're starting these little churches everywhere. And these churches started meeting on Sunday. Jewish men and women who had thousands of years of tradition of gathering on Saturday, when the Sabbath was, shed all of that in one day and started meeting on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus was raised to life on Sunday. The resurrection changed everything. Christianity should never have happened. It should have just been this little cult-like offshoot of Judaism. But instead, it has spread across oceans, across generations. And where we stand today, it's the most widely practiced faith system in the world. And it's not just an American religion. It started in the Middle East, and it's exploding in places like China and Africa and Iran. The, the largest attended church in the world is in South Korea, what are all of these different cultures all over the globe doing, meeting on Sunday morning, still talking about Jesus? It's because the resurrection changed everything. And have you ever thought it's odd that each year, Easter's a different day? Last year, it was April 17th. Next year, it's March 31st. Why does it change? Because our calendar is based on the solar year, but the ancient Jewish calendar is based on the lunar year. And Easter comes after the first full moon of the spring equinox. What other holiday do we have in our country that goes by the lunar year? 
The reason why we still pay attention is because the resurrection changed everything. Here's the deal, though. You all know the story of Easter Sunday. You know about Jesus resurrecting from the grave. You know about the empty tomb. And I think a lot of us, we say, you know, it's a great story. It's nice. It's positive. And we live in a world with so much negativity. It's nice to be able to to hear something positive, you know, put on a nice outfit, come to church and get a boost. Friends, listen to me very carefully. Jesus did not suffer and die and raise back to life so that we could feel better about ourselves. Jesus wants to save us from our sins. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. So the question is, what do we do with this resurrection? You know, in my position as pastor, I have the opportunity to interact with lots of different people who have lots of different views on Jesus. And when you ask them to, to give your life to Christ, there's a couple of different excuses that tend to bubble to the surface. I've heard a couple common ones over the years said in, in a few different ways, but, but here, here's three of them. Here's the first one. Number one, uh, I'm too far gone. Number two, I have too many unanswered questions. And number three, I'm just not a church person. And you know, if any of these sound like you, I want to address these criticisms with a story about Jesus that you might not be as familiar with. It's one that happened long before the cross, when Jesus was out in the countryside interacting with people. And this is what happens. It's found in Matthew chapter 17. It says, When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Any parent in here could know the agony of, of, of your child going through pain. And this particular father had a child who was dealing not just with physical problems, but with spiritual problems. This child was under severe demonic power. And he was losing hope. And then Jesus' disciples came to town. And this dad thought, this is my last shot. Maybe the disciples of Jesus can invoke the name of God and heal my son. But the disciples couldn't help him at all. So in his desperation, he appeals to Jesus. Here's how Jesus responds, verse 18. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. One word of Jesus, and the boy was instantly set free. And the disciples were standing there and going, how did that happen? Verse 19. The disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus said, all you need is a little faith. As I mentioned earlier, I was just in Israel, and mustard plants grow all over the place. And so I wanted to show you a picture of a mustard seed. Here it is right there. That's not so big, right? Do you think you can have that kind of faith? Could you, could you muster up that kind of faith? See what I did there? <laughs> Actually, I'm being a little deceptive. I want to show that picture again. Those aren't mustard seeds. Those are mustard bulbs. 
This is a mustard seed. See those tiny little black dots? That's a mustard seed. And what Jesus is saying is that's the size of the faith you need for Jesus to do something powerful in your life. Something that small when placed in the hand of a man who can raise even from the grave is all Jesus needs to get you going. Are you willing to show faith the size of a mustard seed? Which brings us back to the excuses of of why we don't believe. The first one is, I'm too far gone. Ever heard somebody say that? Pastor, if you only knew the real me, I got so many issues. For me to give my life to Jesus, I'd have to make like so many changes. It's too hard. I'd have to end my relationship. I'd have to spend money differently. I'd have to get out of my current living situation. I'd have to quit cold turkey. I'd have to convince my family I'm not crazy. I'm sorry. I'll give you a Sunday or two a year, but asking me to surrender to Christ is just too big of a request. I agree. If you're trying to do it on your own. But if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, and you put it in the hands of Jesus and say, I don't know how you could ever fix someone like me, but with my little faith, I'm willing to believe. And if you do that, you wouldn't be the first, because in these stories that we read are all kinds of people with a mustard seed kind of faith. Remember the criminal on the cross in Luke 23? He said, we're being punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a mustard seed faith. This criminal was on the cross because of his own actions, his own bad choices. And it just so happened that the day he was sentenced, his cross went up next to Jesus. And in his rock-bottom moment, he cried out for help, and Jesus said, I hear you, and I save you. And maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you find yourself today in a place where you have made so many bad choices that you've gotten yourself into a desperate situation. Would you be willing to cry out to Jesus, even with a tiny faith that says, I know I've messed up, and I know I've done a lot of bad things, but I'm calling on your name, Jesus. Will you help me? And even with a mustard seed faith, Jesus will respond and he'll meet you. First excuse is, I'm too far gone. Here's the second one. I have too many unanswered questions. All the different religions in the world, how can Christianity be the only one that is true? There's so much suffering. How can there be a God with so much suffering? The Bible was written by a bunch of people. Why should I believe it? Friends, listen, we believe all kinds of crazy things that we don't put that kind of scrutiny towards. Some of you believe that your loved ones who have passed away are visiting you as ghosts. But you don't understand, Pastor. Grandma used to jiggle the handle whenever she used the toilet. And sometimes at night, I could still hear the handle jiggling. She's with us. Some of you believe in aliens. Some of you believe we never made it to the moon. Or that 9-11 was a hoax. Or that the earth is flat. We believe all kinds of crazy things that we don't even bother to question. But for some reason, when it comes to Christianity, we say, I got too many unanswered questions. 
One of the biggest misunderstandings about the Christian faith is that you have to have every question answered before you could take a step forward. Friends, the disciples of Jesus didn't even have every question answered. Those who followed him closely didn't have every question answered. Let's start with the women who showed up at the tomb on that morning. This is Mark's gospel, Mark 16. It says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Don't you think they should have thought that before they left the house? This was not a good plan. These women were risking their lives. They just saw what happened to Jesus. The same thing could happen to them. They didn't have a good plan. All they had was a flickering faith. They said, we don't know how it's all going to work, but we're going to show up at the tomb because we think this is what we're supposed to do. And because they showed up, so did Jesus. He met them in their place, and he gave them the answer they were looking for, that mustard seed faith. You know, the same is true with one of the disciples. Look at John chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So when Jesus visited his disciples on that Sunday night, the 12 were down to 10. Judas commits suicide. And then Thomas, he skipped town. Apparently when Jesus died, so did his faith. He was gone. And so the disciples, they, they gathered together and they, they went to go find their friend. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Talk about an unanswered question. And if you've ever heard the phrase doubting Thomas, this is where it comes from. What he was essentially saying is, it's impossible. I'll never believe unless I see Jesus. But here's what's so fascinating. Verse 26, one verse later. It says, a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. He never got his questions answered. He never got the proof he was looking for. But what he got was back in the room. That small faith, the faith of a mustard seed, Thomas put himself back in the room, and then look what happened. Jesus showed up again, and he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas got his answers too, but he had to take a step of faith. And friends, showing up is half the battle. Mary showed up at the tomb Thomas got back in the room. And the fact that you're in this room right now says something about you. Maybe that is that small speck of faith that you need to take a step forward and say, Jesus, I'm not, I don't have every question answered, but with my mustard seed faith, I'm going to take a step toward you, and will you take a step toward me? And he will. Just because you don't have your questions answered now does not mean you won't get your questions answered someday. But you got to show up. I'm too far gone. I have too many unanswered questions. Here's the last one. I'm just not a church person. Ever heard someone say that? Now, what's a church person? It's one of those Jesus people. They're all cleaned up. 
They're, they're, they're all happy all the time. They act like they got life figured out. Friends, if that's the definition of a church person, then none of the people on this story with Jesus were church people. Because they, they weren't happy all the time. They weren't cleaned up. They didn't have it figured out. Let's just look at some of the people. Remember the Roman centurion present with Jesus? Mark 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Roman soldiers weren't religious. They weren't attending Jewish festivals. They weren't worshiping God. They didn't know the scriptures. But this one confessed something that the Jewish religious leaders could not, that Jesus was the son of God. That's a mustard seed faith. Remember the two guys who grabbed Jesus' body? John 19, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Why did he come at nighttime? He was too embarrassed. Both of these guys were followers of Jesus, but they were too embarrassed to make it known publicly. These guys didn't have it all figured out. And then what about the disciples? Women show up on that Resurrection Sunday saying, we've seen Jesus. How did these holy men of God respond? Luke 24, 11, they did not believe. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. <clears throat> Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And these guys were the insiders. These guys were the church people. They didn't have it all figured out. Friends, if the definition of a church person is somebody who's happy all the time and, and who, who's cleaned up and has it all figured out, then Sunrise Church doesn't have many church people. Because the people in this church come out of a whole colorful variety of backgrounds. We've got people in here who used to be drug dealers, who were convicts, addicts, cynics. We've got blue-collar, white-collar, married, unmarried, single-parent parents, young, old, people who are healthy, people who are diseased, people who live in their own house, and people who live in a halfway house. And what do most of them have in common? At some point, they exercised a mustard seed faith and said, Jesus, will you transform me? And before you characterize yourself as someone who can never be a church person, just know that when you take a mustard seed-sized step of faith toward Jesus, he can totally transform your life. I want to share with you just one story of a man from this church who experienced that kind of transformation. Check this out. Well, my name is Scotty Days. I've been attending Sunrise Church since 2008. I love greeting people at the doors. I love people seeing who I am. But life wasn't always like that for me. Before I came to Sunrise Church and before I received Christ in my heart, I was addicted to drugs. Um, I did things that uh, you probably uh, wouldn't even think a man like me was capable of doing. That was my main thing, was to use drugs to fulfill my fleshly desires. A lot of it was fulfilled through sex. A lot of it was fulfilled through not keeping my obligations and doing things that um, turned out to be not right. I had a son out of wedlock and it caused a divorce and the loss of my entire family. At one point I lost everything. I lost a job, 
which supported me and my family, and I no longer could live. I just wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore, and I thought life was over. One of the turning points for me came when I was sitting in a jail cell, and I didn't have any way of getting out of jail, and so I prayed there in my jail cell. When I was getting ready to go up to the general population, they called my name and said, Scotty, you're out of here. It was at that point that I began to know that there was something to this God thing. I want to tell you this day right here, right now, the only reason that I'm able to stay clean, the only reason I'm able to stay sober, the only reason I'm able to maintain anything that's of value is because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. Not only has Jesus Christ transformed my life, but he continues to transform me day after day, moment by moment. The moment that I knew that God was real was the moment that I walked through the doors of Sunrise Church and I understood John 3.16 for the very first time. In my silent moment when I was quiet and I heard the Bible verse say, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that so whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That was the opening for me to understand that there is life. There is hope. There is a beginning that could be transformation. It was from that moment on that my focus, my eyes, stayed on Christ. Success is knowing Jesus Christ. Success is following Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. Follow Jesus and he will straighten out your life and give you hope that only God can help you understand. You know, that father who brought his son to Jesus desperate. This is what it said, Mark 9, 22. He said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And listen to how the dad responded. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Isn't that an interesting statement? He argues both sides. He says, I believe and I don't believe. And maybe you can relate. But with faith the size of a mustard seed, would you be willing to say, Jesus, will you help my unbelief? Friends, I don't know if you feel like you're too far gone or if you have too many unanswered questions or you just can't ever see your life being transformed, but I'm standing before you to tell you that if you're willing to to take a tiny faith, even the size of a mustard seed, and put it in front of Jesus, he can transform your life as well. But you've got to take that step. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, invited him in, what better time than Easter Sunday? And so in just a moment, I, I want to give you that opportunity. I want to lead you in a, in a simple prayer that you could pray. You could repeat after me in the silence of your heart. Listen, these words are nothing but, but, a, but hollow chanting if you don't have some faith powering them. And so if you are ready right now to invite Christ into your life, I want to ask you to close your eyes. Look deep in your heart. I want to challenge you that in the silence of your heart, I want you to pray these words. Jesus, today I believe. Jesus, today I believe. Will you open my eyes? Will you open my heart? If you are the one true God, 
Will you come into my life and change me? I don't have it all figured out. But I know that I've made some bad choices. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died for me. And I invite you into my life. Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer, this is what I want to challenge you to do. On the program that you received when you came in is a little perforated card. You could just tear that off, and at the bottom of it is a box that says, I said yes to Jesus. You could just fill that out in a moment. We're going to take an offering. You could just drop this card right in that bag, and our team will follow up with you and help you understand what it means to walk with Jesus. Maybe there's some of you who you're wanting to deepen your commitment. You're wanting to maybe join a group or get to know some people. You might just need someone to talk to or some, some help. Here's what to do. Grab your phone and text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will exchange a few messages with you. We won't spam you. Uh, just text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or you could stop by a table at the lobby that says NEXT STEPS, and we're going to be able to have that conversation with you to help you get going. Friends, next week, we are going to be starting a special two-week message series that we're calling Beyond the Tomb. And maybe you're somebody who, you, you know the Easter story, but you don't really know what happened next. Did Jesus hang around? Did he disappear? Did he die again? What happened? What happened to the disciples? We're going to take the next two weeks to talk about that. We'd love to have you back here at Sunrise Church to be a part of that. But in the meantime, I just want to remind you that the resurrection changed everything. And as a result, Jesus is transforming lives. He transformed crying criminals. He transformed cynical centurions. He transformed faithless followers. He transformed weeping women. And he transformed discouraging disciples. And he can do the same for you. When you take your faith, even as small as a mustard seed, and put it in the hands of someone who is able to raise even from the grave, then he could resurrect your life as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for this tremendous gift of life that you offer freely. And Father, I pray no one walks out of here today without being sure of where they stand with you, placing their faith in you, even if it's small. Maybe there's someone in here today who you're really struggling with your faith, you're struggling with your unbelief. You say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Just lift it up right now in the room with all of our heads bowed. Say, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling all around the room. God, for these men and women, Lord, I just pray that you would strengthen them, Father. Help them as they wrestle through this life. Give them exactly what they need. And is there anybody in here, you said, today's the day that I pray to receive Christ into my life. Would you lift your hand so that I could pray for you? Just put your hand up so I could see you. Yep. I got you. Yeah. I see you up in the balcony. All around the room. God, for these men and women, Lord, I pray that with this small faith, Today would be the day that things change, 
It's not going to be perfect. It's not a magic formula, but that they start to see something internally is stirring. Something's different. And Father, I pray that you take that seed and you make it grow into something big and powerful. And God, as we prepare now to give these financial gifts, these offerings to you, I pray that you would take this money and multiply it, use it to impact lives in our city, in our state, across this globe. Father, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son to die for us. And we praise you that he didn't stay dead, but that he is alive. And if you believe it in your heart, then somebody say, amen. amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.